Get ready to jumpstart your scientific career with practical advice on being a successful and contented scientist. Each episode of the Happy Scientist podcast delivers hands-on, actionable steps you can take to ensure you stay happy, focused, and satisfied in the lab. Available on all popular podcast platforms, hit the subscribe button and start your journey towards a more fulfilling scientific career. the Happy Scientist Podcast. Each episode is designed to make you more focused, more productive, and more satisfied in the lab. You can find us online at bitesizebio.com slash happy scientist. Your hosts are Kenneth Vogt, founder of the executive coaching firm Vera Claritas, and Dr. Nick Oswald, PhD, bioscientist, and founder of Bitesize Bio. Hello, this is not Nick Oswald welcoming you to this Bite Size Bio webinar with Tom Warwick, content creator at Bite Size Bio. Today we have a live episode of the Happy Scientist podcast. If you want to become a happier, healthier, and more productive scientist, you're in the right place. With me, as always, is the Bite Size Bio teams, Mr. Mayagi, Mr. Kenneth Vote. In these sessions, we hear from Ken mostly on principles that will help shape you for a happier and more successful career. And along the way, I'll pitch in with points from my personal experience as a scientist. If you have any questions, put them into the questions box on the side of your screen and I'll put them to Ken. Today, we'll be discussing how to motivate yourself in scientific research. All right. Well, Tom, I'm sure glad you're here. Thank you. <laughs> because in this, this topic, how to motivate yourself, I'm an expert on that. In scientific research, I need a little support. <laughs> so here you are. So I, I refreshed myself on your LinkedIn profile and your resume, and I saw something that I, he's a structural biologist. That's really cool. I wonder what that means. <laughs> so maybe you can give us your, uh, your potted bio. Okay, yeah. Well, at the minute, I'm content creator here. So I create and edit uh, a portion of the, the written copy you see on, on Bite Size Bio website and that we put out. But in a past life, as Ken says, I was a structural biologist, which basically means trying to elucidate the 3D structures of uh, biomolecules. Uh -huh. I did this via X-ray crystallography, but you can do it by microscopy, which I'm sure a lot of our audience is familiar with. So this is like the 3D structures of proteins, uh, membranes, you name it, basically. Um, and it was quite the challenge. It's quite grueling, but there's some amazing technology. Cool. Okay, I noticed too that uh, you mentioned being a chemist, which I've also noted a lot of biologists seem to be afraid of chemistry. So the fact that, <laughs> that you are an expert on both at once, that's, that's also quite useful. Sure, sure it is. That was quite grueling too. It was a long time ago, but yeah, I've retained some of it and it certainly comes in handy now. Um, right. Useful as a structural biologist as well, to sort of have a chemical understanding of biosystems. Um, sure, that makes sense. So folks out there, you may wonder like, well, what happened to Nick? Well, <laughs> nothing happened to Nick. Nick is fine. It's just, as, as Tom pointed out, he, he is involved in a lot of content creation, but he's also involved in some of the content you see that, that announces this podcast, for instance. And so he often does the, the intros uh, that you see in, in, uh, in print based on notes I gave him. Well, for this particular one, what he wrote was better than what I sent him. 
and I thought, this is interesting. Then he commented that that this is a topic that he's personally passionate about. They're like, well, that's that does it. Nick, you're sitting this one out. <laughs> Tom's got to come on the podcast with me so we can talk about this. So that's what we're going to do today. And uh, we will we will have a little back and forth from our different perspectives. And hopefully you will find some things so you can take away that will that will help you. So the our last episode, we talked about what if your love of science is starting to wane. And that is something that would be worth looking back to if that's true for you. This is kind of the next step after that. Let's let's presume you've rekindled your love for science, but you still got to actually get in there and do it. So how do you motivate yourself to do this hard work? And it is hard. Yeah, it, it may not be, you know, backbreaking, but it's definitely mentally hard. And, and that matters. And so we want you to keep doing it because uh, so many of you invest have invested so much time in education and 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 in the lab and that would be a great loss for the industry for mankind if you stop doing it we want you to keep doing it so we're going to talk about ways that you can you can motivate yourself and and keep yourself in the game and keep yourself uh you know, at your highest possible level. So I want to start with the idea of tell the story. You're doing interesting things that many of the rest of us aren't doing. And it's why, you know, someone like me can ask someone like Tom, like, what does it mean to be a structural biologist? I don't know. That's kind of interesting. I want to know about that. Or, and you're also a chemist. How is that possible? You know, you might look at that and go, well, who wants to hear about that? But people do want to hear about it. And so Start telling people what you're working on and you will find some people, their eyes glaze over and, or, or they just go, oh, that's all over my head. You know, like they don't even want to try to understand it, but, but other people won't do that. And, and they will go, wait a minute, this is, this is new to me. I, I would like to know more. Now that, that may be, you know, people in your family, that may be, you know, people at the coffee shop that uh, you can, you can definitely engage with, people who are outside of science. And it's not a bad idea for you to tell, tell people like that what's, what you're up to because you have to simplify it because you have to boil it down. And you learn a great deal yourself when, you, when you're teaching others. And, and you know, granted, you're not trying to get them up to being your peer, but, you, but it is useful to get them, to get them engaged enough to know, hey, what this guy does is useful. And it matters and it's helpful. And you'll get that feedback from people and that feels good and that can be motivating. So when, when other people are, are interested in what we do and, and are impressed with what we do. Now, on top of that, um, it's not just the people that don't know what's going on that you talk to. You know, talk to the people you're working with. You know, the, the people that are engaged in what you're engaged in also have insights and there can be a an interchange of encouragement, as it were. So you know you wanna you wanna keep people that are on on your team or adjacent to your team engaged and involved, and that's good for you and it's good for them. And the notion of it being motivating to them is also useful because it's not just about you. You you are in a collaborative environment, and so. You, you can give energy to others, but you can also receive it from others. And there, 
you know, there's a the rising tide floats all boats, right? Now, another thing you can do is maybe it's not just talking about what you're working on now, but talking about what you've worked on before. And especially if you've got some kind of success story or you had some kind of eureka moment, um, those are, you know, those don't happen every day. And so when they do happen, they really, they really special. So you want to recapture those moments and relive those moments because that'll remind you, oh yeah, this is why I worked so hard to get to this point. This is why I stayed up all those late nights in university. And this is why I come into the lab early because this kind of thing can happen. <clears throat> another, another group of people you can talk to are, um, are things you can think you can talk about are things that are prospects for the future. What future research might you be involved in? What possibilities are there? Now, maybe it's not funded yet. Maybe you don't have a grant for it. Um, so that's not sure. But, you know, if you start talking about things, then they start to become real. And if you don't talk about things, they don't become real. Everything, everything starts as a thought. Any, any tangible thing in your life started as a thought in somebody's head. And maybe a thought in your head. Maybe some things that you have now are because you had a thought and you just kept going with that. So, so you should spend some of your time engaged in things that are not yet there, but will happen in the future or could happen in the future. And so whoever you're talking to about this stuff, um, listen also. When people have questions, respond to them. Give them answers. And, and understand some people are going to ask stupid questions. Because they're, well, maybe not stupid, ignorant questions, let's put it that way, because they just don't know. Uh, other people, um, their questions will sh will get, will help you gauge their level of, of uh, attention right now. You know, if they're asking questions like, well, I just told you how that works, or I just told you that part. <laughs> well, now you know you don't have their attention yet. And now, granted, you can blame that on them, or you can look at yourself and say, you know, am I doing a good job of communicating this? Because... I want to be fully engaged. If I'm fully engaged, again, that'll that'll help me motivate myself and we can go forward. <clears throat> so uh, another another way of looking at this is if you're talking about people are insiders, fellow scientists um, that you're you're talking to, well, obviously you want to engage with them on a deeper level than you would with, you know, a relative or a friend that's not in the same field. But even among scientists, they can be in different fields. And so it's, and you, you, I'm sure you're engaged with some scientists that are not exactly in your field. You may be a specialist in your area. Well, they don't know everything about what you're doing then, but at least they have a, they have a foundation that you can build on. So take advantage of that, make use of it. It's like, but uh, you know, Tom, Tom was talking about earlier that understanding chemistry was, is useful for structural biology. Well, that makes sense. And if if he's talking to somebody who has understanding of one or the other, he can use that as a bridge to help explain things. And again, every time you are engaged in a conversation, you're building your own motivational muscle. You're you're part of it. And at some point you're going to go, "Okay, it's time for this conversation to end and for me to get back to the lab." And get 
get this thing moving forward. So you, know, you want to go to the, you want to go that way and, <clears throat> and, and use these things as tools. You can look at this thing. Well, I'm just, I'm just faking myself out here. I'm, I'm, I'm just manipulating myself. Like, yes, you are. And why not? <laughs> just to jump in there, Ken. Yeah. You know, there are, there are always tangential benefits to what, uh, what you're doing in your research and, during my PhD experience, I was massively demotivated at times, but now looking back, you know, it's clear to me that the chemistry benefited, you know, the structural biology, the structural biology benefits what I do now, and I couldn't be doing this job without those. And that's really easy to see in retrospect, but uh, I wish I could have thought upon that more at the time rather than just get get quite glum and down about my research so it's, it's something it's, it's it's something worth thinking on and you know I, I think i think that can be motivational too right well yeah so there's two parts of this there's the do you bother to think about it but then will you take action on those thoughts so sometimes it's just in your own quiet moments you have to realize oh i gotta i gotta get myself more in the game but other times you jump in and just start telling people about stuff and you'll find not only do you engage them, you engage yourself. So you see, you said something interesting there a moment ago about, about being demotivated. And that's, that is an interesting word because it implies that you used to be motivated. And then you had a moment where you're demotivated, where your motivation has been taken away. Well, that's, that's worth examination. And they're like, what, what happened? Why, why now? Why at this moment? is my motivation lacking? What's changed? And sometimes you look at that and go, well, I'm just, I'm just overworked right now, or I'm just tired, or, or this particular thing, I actually never was motivated about it. So it's good to recognize the difference as opposed to when uh, this used to excite me and now it doesn't. Um, so that, that, uh, that self-examination and that bothering to be aware of your own state is really, really valuable. And, you know, if you're constantly feeling demotivated, there, there may be something structurally wrong for you, you know, something that you need to address in your life. And, you know, maybe you have, maybe there's some health issues to look at. Maybe there's, maybe there's some mental health issues to look at, but maybe it's just, you know, I got to stop sleeping four hours a night. I, <laughs> I, I got to stop eating out of the vending machine, you know, <laughs> um, because everything else can be perfect. And you wonder why am I, why am I demotivated? Well, it's because you don't feel physically good. So be part of the game, go to the gym, you know, um, it's, a, it's amazing the difference, those things that seem totally outside of what you're doing can matter. It's true. And when I was in the lab, I, you know, I met friends who encouraged me to do enormously healthy habits, stuff I wouldn't normally do, largely being outdoors. Mm -hmm. It's interesting you say that because it was when they left, I guess, you know, that's, that's when it got harder. So, <laughs> you know, just looking at the people around you as well is, is, yeah. is or appreciating the people around you is, is something, you know, yeah, well, you those can benefit are from. Two useful topics with, uh, you know, sometimes you can't choose the people that are around you. you you've been assigned a team and you got to work with who you got, but uh, other times you can go, you know, this person, this person, at every turn is just a downer. They all they see is problems. All all they do is complain. All the, all they do is find fault. 
you know, well, if you can remove such an influence from your life, by all means do so. Um, sometimes though, you can help that kind of person. Maybe they're complaining because they're, they're tired or they're not getting some of the same good advice you got from your friends. Well, maybe you can share that and help, help lift them up too. So yeah, I, I realize this, the topic we're talking about today is about how to motivate yourself, but motivating others can also motivate you because you, you tend to, you tend to start to believe your own story, you know, which is good. If, if, if it's a positive story. <clears throat> so another thing you can do is you can look at, well, where has science been working out? And, you know, things that have worked, succeeded, new, new things have been discovered. If you, you can re-excite yourself by examining those things, what, what is it I could be doing that, you know, like what has been done before. And there's lots of places to look for that kind of inspiration. Um, there, there's so much that has been written about science and in science and from science. I mean, there, there's tons to draw. So you can start with just, you know, academic works. When, when you really dig into something else that has succeeded, that it is tangential to what you're doing or, maybe it precedes what you're really currently working on. But, well, then you can say, man, I, I want to be a part of this. I, I want to, I want to be the guy that discovers that next thing or, or figures out this, this next thing. Another thing that I always felt was interesting, you know, my whole life is to look at biographies of people who have done the kind of things you would like to do and see what happened in their life. And, and often when you, when you examine those biographies, you realize they had downtimes. They had things that went wrong. They had opportunities snatched away from them, and and yet they kept pushing. and And they worked. They worked through those things, and they made it happen. And you may also find too that there are some there are some nonfiction works out there that are they're not maybe academic level. They're just kind of a fun level. But there's some there are some great scientists who have written accessible books that could be read by anybody. Well, for you, it's, it could be a, just a guilty pleasure because if somebody's writing about, about quantum physics and you're familiar with that, if somebody's writing about um, you know, cell biology for the masses, you may look at that and go, well, I know all that stuff, but to have somebody talk about it in an engaging way and in a simplified way, um, it's just, it's just easy for you to consume. And again, it reminds you of, the, of all the fun stuff. And when something that is written, they can pack in a lot of stuff because they're not giving a lot of explanation. So they go, well, there's this, and there's this, this, and then there's this, and then there's this. And it reminds you of all the things that got you interested in all this in the first place and that, that have motivated you in the past. And you can reuse your motivation. You know, it's not like you have to every day get up and go, okay, why should I do this today? Well, you can do it for the same reason you did it yesterday. You know, it's fine. You know, go ahead and use those things. Another interesting thing you can look at is fiction. You're like fiction, how, how can that help? But there's, I mean, there's tons of fiction out there that is science related, science adjacent. Shoot, there's science fiction. Um, Again, it's motivating. 
And some of the stuff is so fanciful and fantastic. It reminds you of how, how much blue sky is left out there. It's like, man, we are not done with this. There is plenty more to do, plenty more to learn, plenty more to discover, and, and why not be part of it? In addition to all that, think of all the other media that we have available to us. There, you know, Get on Netflix. There's tons of documentaries that are, are scientifically focused, and they're interesting. And then, of course, there are whole movies that, that get into topics. And, I mean, some of them are, you know, Jurassic Park fanciful, uh, but others, they're, you know, they may be historical. Um, they may be uh, at least based in history. And, and those things can be very interesting, too. And then, you, again, we realize I could be part of this. They could be making a movie about me in the future. You know, wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> so, so why not? Why not engage yourself in what's available about where science has been working out before? And even some of the dystopian stuff can be interesting because there's things to learn from it. Um, so it comes down to your taste, of course. <laughs> Sorry, just to jump in there, Ken. Yeah. Again, I go one step further. You say dystopian, um, but you know, if, sometimes we can find ourselves wondering, you know, what's the point? Especially when our work is, you know, often focused on such minutia. And then you mentioned Netflix and social media, and I often found engaging with content that you know I, I disagree with that can be, you know, really inspiring as well. You know, if you think, ah. if you think something, if something contradicts. Or takes a shot at something you hold dear, you know, whatever topic. Mm -hmm. That sure as hell, you know, makes you realize the benefit of what you're doing. Yeah, and I think that's ever more true, you know, in, in in the age of disinformation. For sure. And too, it can also point out here's a problem I want to solve. And and some of these some of these dystopian themes have been here's what happened when they didn't bother to solve the problem. You know? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> But yeah, there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, I was recently a guest on another podcast called The AI Optimist with a good friend of mine, Declan Dunn. And we'll, we'll link up to that at some point here too. The notion of being an AI optimist, it's a little contrarian these days. There's been a lot of talk about the dangers of AI, but he is looking at it from the standpoint of, well, how do we make good use of it? Not just I'm mean, not to ignore the warnings or or not see the, the potential dangers, but what good can we can we use this for? How can we push things forward? And should we even use AI bite-sized bio for so you know that helps us with some of the content we create? So it, it definitely can be used for good. We can still be aware of the bad. And the same thing is true of everything y'all are doing. Science science is often dangerous. I mean and and even if it's, you know, in biology, I mean, you're dealing with living things and things that can die that you may not want to die, you know? So um, even at that level, you know, maybe you don't have any feelings about that bacteria in that Petri dish, but you still don't want it to die. So um, we, can, we, can, we can be engaged in that way also. So another thing to think about is you have a social circle and science is a very collaborative uh, way of, of operating in life. And that's not true of every industry or every business. Collaboration is a big deal for y'all. 
and you know, and I sometimes I'm almost afraid to use the word social anymore because people automatically finish it with media. But I'm not talking about social media. I'm talking about actually being social. Now, that's not to say you can't be so actual, actually social on social media. But when you have opportunities to interact with other people that are are engaged in the same kind of things that you're engaged in, you can you can draw on their excitement, and and you can you can leapfrog each other on things that you've learned by sharing those sharing those those moments of inspiration and those moments of of you know, the eureka moments as it were and it, there there's great opportunity there just with your peers and you may be peers that you actually physically get together with people that you know in the same lab or something like that there may be people you see at conferences maybe you don't see them all the time but you get to see them but there are other people you may never actually be in the same physical place, but because we've got all this great connectivity, you are interacting with. Um, so make those use of those interactions to help keep yourself motivated. So there's one other thing that that, that I want to talk about in the end, is, and that is the idea of mentorship. A mentor can really help you that way because they've been down this road. They've had high points and low points. They, they know what happens and they know how they got out of them. Um, so you should take advantage of that. And maybe they're available in your lab or in your company. And, but they're also curious and creative people just like you. So, so they, they know the environment and they've built skills, you know, both at the bench, but also in the, in the environment of science there. They they deal with the same problem. They've dealt with the same problems you've dealt with in the past. The culture of the field of your lab itself, you know, they they have figured some things out and they can share them with you. And sometimes just getting that pressure off you, your motivation was already there. You just needed to not be under so much pressure, and it frees you then to 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 then go. Okay, I don't have to think about. The politics here right now. I can just focus on what I'm, what I'm in researching, what I'm investigating, and that makes things so much better for you. <laughs> and with mentoring as well, it's a good opportunity to look back and reflect on what you have achieved rather than what you've got left to achieve. Often mm -hmm. we focus on what's coming up, what's coming up, what's next. You know, what do I need to experiment? Do I need to do? You know, what job am I going to get when this ten years over? Um, mm -hmm. And it can be easy to forget that you know you've built up a huge repertoire of knowledge and expertise and you know your, your younger colleagues less experienced people do benefit from that you know it's, it's really easy to trivialize how far you you will have come oh um, for sure yeah so mentoring is a great avenue to sort of you know swing the pendulum the other way so to speak right well it goes both ways you you can seek mentorship but but it's quite possible you're already at the point where you could be someone's mentor yeah. And it's worth bothering to do that. I, I realize it could take more time and more energy, but when you're giving back like that, you'd be surprised how, how energizing it can be for you. And when you see somebody who's young and fresh and excited, you know, it feels good. You remember, oh yeah, I was like that, you know, <laughs> and I could still be like that. You know, why not? <clears throat> All right. Well. That's basically what I had prepared to say about this. Is there anything you'd like to add, Tom? 
Well, I was, I was thinking it's very easy to, you know, to get hung up on what we're doing, become become singly focused on it. But and I'm guessing, I mean, this in terms of how much you make science a central part of your identity and how much time you spend thinking about it when when you're not at work. And mm-hmm. an important learning process for me was realizing, you know, I do better work when I don't put my science at the center of it. You know, I guess putting it tritely, a change is as good as a rest. Now, unfortunately, when you put this into play in an academic setting, it can open yourself up to accusations of being, you know, disinterested or not bothered. For me, and I'm just speaking for myself here, that was always ironic because I knew if I I focused on it more, I would do less of a good job, you know, realising that I needed that freedom to explore other in, uh, interests. Mm-hmm. That was more motivational. And I, it's on us as individuals to sort of think about that. You know, on the flip side, I know people who worked kind of like six and a half days a week and were fine with it and thrived on it, you mm-hmm. know, but it's not necessarily better you know it's merely what works works for you and that, that is get, gives me pause for thought anyway right you know my in my personal background i worked with engineers more than scientists as far as my day-to-day work and i found that they like scientists can be very hard working and work many many hours but there's a couple guys that they had guitars in their in their cubicles and you know at a certain point every day they'd be playing guitar now it's an electric guitar that they got plugged in they're only hearing it through their own headphones so it's not like they're screaming metal out to the rest of the office Mm -hmm. um and and two they they would late at night these guys would all stop and all start playing carmageddon (laughs) this was back in the day but that was you know they created a culture like that and they that brought them together and they wanted you know they were they didn't play that game until like 11 p.m so it was motivating to keep to stay in the office until carmageddon time you know so they, they had their their advantages from that now but too i did i also did see people that work too hard and and burn themselves out so you've got to learn how to balance that and it's like you were saying, some people need to have more outside interests than others. Some people can keep their nose to the grindstone and they can work 70 hour weeks and they're fine with it. Other people, 40 hours is enough. Thank you very much. I have other interests in my life, but those other interests play back into their scientific life. Another point I was thinking of before coming in, you know, into this in, into this um, podcast was how do you separate us? So I'll backtrack. So we all work on something. Or I'm sure the audience works on something that you know it might be statistically impossible that you're going to achieve it. You know, if it's a big scientific problem. Like for me, I was trying to solve the structures of membrane proteins. It's notoriously hard. You know, they're not soluble in water. They don't crystallize. Um, and how do you divorce that? improbability from your own view of yourself as a scientist because the easy conclusion the facile conclusion is you know it's not work therefore i'm bad <laughs> and i feel like that that's a that's a conclusion that's easy to draw in in research i don't know why but it is but i necessarily think it's think it's that way the two aren't necessarily connected many times it's, it's a function of how many things you will try in the in the, in the time that you have you know and sure don't don't let people tell you otherwise yeah it 
it's it's downright heroic to 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 take on things where you're likely to fail over and over and over again before you maybe succeed. It and it's not worthless. It's not useless to have those failures because they're they're still documented. It's it's still feeding the body of knowledge. This is some this is not the way to get there. This is something that doesn't work. This is something that only gets this far and then hits this barrier, but it revealed the next barrier. That's that is highly useful. And you know, we do we do tend to wrap our self-image into the work we do. And if the work doesn't have some definable success, we may not feel good. But it's what are you defining as success? You know, is it a it only counts if I win, win a Nobel Prize. You know, come on. <laughs> There's plenty of small wins that are worthwhile, and and you can use that for motivation too. And you can bet the Nobel Prize winners and the very big scientists. You know, I'm sure they were disinclined to celebrate their own achievements too at, at some point. I think that goes, you know, I think that goes right from working on the seemingly most trivial scientific problems to the things that do lead to awards um for, yeah, for example are they, are they they stumble into it you know they oh, oh, accidentally yeah. find things serendipity we've not even touched <laughs> upon that little yeah that little gem but just 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 to back that up i was just reading um before coming into this um an astronaut christina cook her name is she holds the record for the longest you know uh time in space by a woman working in space on the international space station and it says in the article her impulse was to downplay the milestone before a former colleague reminded her that achievement might give people a sense of greater possibilities. You know, she's an astronaut on the you know, NASA Artemis mission. And she, even she, you know, thinks it's trivial what she does. So I think it, it's almost ubiquitous, that temptation to downplay. Maybe right. it's connected to scientists being naturally introverted. I don't know, I suspect that's some part of it, but it's not always, yeah, it's not always a good thing to do, you know, right. celebrate your achievements, coming full circle with what we started. Yeah, we, we've, we've talked about imposter syndrome on the podcast on several occasions. We had one episode, that's what it was, that's, was the sole topic. And, you know, it, it is easy to forget that, that you're not normal <laughs> in a good way. <laughs> that is, you've achieved a high level and yeah, granted, you used to be in there now, but not many people are, are, are there with you. So give yourself a little credit. <laughs> and, you know, it's not about being arrogant, you know, patting yourself on the back. But, you know, if you got a win, celebrate the win. It's, it's why not? Yeah, well, no one else is going to celebrate it for you. That's uh, right. something I've learned. You really have to make that happen. You know, well, yourself. a lot of people won't even understand it well enough <laughs> to celebrate it with you. They, did, they won't realize it's celebratory. <laughs> <laughs> also, with what you do, you will be working on some cool, technology that becomes trivialized through your exposure to it. Um, mm. Looking back at what I did now, I got to go to particle accelerators, synchrotrons, and it seemed really trivial at the time. Yeah, I was at world-class, you know, science <laughs> facilities. And I'll never do it never do it again. I've changed careers now, but <laughs> now I'm grateful for that experience because they're things people will never see. Yeah, exactly. And you don't know that it's never. <laughs> we'll <laughs> see. <laughs> it's not over yet. <laughs> You know, something I noticed in, in the world of software development, which which everybody's used to on the receiving end, but the version that you're using right now 
uh, that's not the version the engineers are working on. They're working on the next version. And then there's another group of them that are working on, on supporting people on the current version. And then there's another group of engineers who are working on supporting people who are not using the current version or using older versions for whatever reason. Um, and you can look at that and say, well, wouldn't you hate that job? Because you don't get to do any of the cool new stuff. Like, you know, there's there are solutions available at every level. And, and you get to participate in, in wherever you are. And you know what? In the moment, maybe you this isn't your preferred space. You're working on something that's not terribly exciting to you, but it's, well, it's got to be done. This is part of the grant. I, I'm junior in the lab, whatever it is. Fine, pay your dues and get yourself in a position where you do have more options. And that, again, that can be motivating too. That's why you're dumping the trash and sweeping the floor. <laughs> well, there's a flip side to that being junior is that everything's new. The techniques, you know, are new or, you know, software engineering, as you say. So I came over from a core chemistry background and molecular biology absolutely blew my mind. You know, the idea that you can encode and express antibiotic resistance genes to select, you know, plasmids, which is bread and butter. But most people in the bioscience lab, it, it was amazing, you know, it blew me away. Well, I remember the first time I heard about CRISPR and I'm like, oh my <laughs> God, that is unbelievable. You know, and come to find out it's being used all the time. Or, or I, I mentioned to Nick at one point about cloning, how that just seemed like, you know, space age science fiction is like, actually, it's kind of easy. We do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny putting it like that, isn't it? Do you think all the people working on CRISPR really just sick to the teeth of it because <laughs> they're so overexposed? Yeah, exactly. But you know, when you're new to it, it's new to you. So yeah. awesome. You can, you can use that too. Yeah, a lot of this, it, it may seem like we're kind of faking ourselves out, kind of manipulating ourselves, but it's done with the best of intentions. So it's okay. It's okay to tell yourself a, a a useful story and if it helps you move forward you recognize it's still just a story but it's okay it, it, as long as you maintain a solid good intent that's 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 your best friend when it comes to motivation get your intent straight motivation will follow so don't forget folks if you have any questions feel free to post them in the question section on the side of your screen but I, I, i've got a few questions ken um, ah. You've touched upon some of them already, but maybe you can elaborate. So mm -hmm. do you think it's always obvious when your motivation levels are dropping? You know, often we're suffering from tunnel vision and it can be it can be a steady thing and perhaps, you know, imperceptible at first, you know. Uh, and what would the telltale signs be, if you, you know, if your motivation levels are waning? Yeah. Well, I, I will first comment on the solution and I'll, we'll take that apart. The solution is awareness. Just being aware of what you're up to, what you're feeling, what's what is happening around you makes all the difference. And that's when it'll you'll you'll see it showing up. Like, why am I tired? Oh yeah, because I'm bored. Why am I bored? Because this is interesting, you know. <laughs> and then you start to to see where what's at the base of it all. And these things are worthy of investigation. And I'm, I'm not saying you should do that all, all day long because that takes you off track of actually accomplishing things. But, but periodically, you should just check in with yourself. How am I doing? How does this feel? I'm, what, 
what do I enjoy about this? What could be better about it? Uh, look at both sides and, you know, draw energy from the, the things that you already like about it. But when you see something that's lacking, well, now you know to take a look at that. Can I do something about that? And sometimes when you look at something, you realize there is nothing I can do about this. The, the, the task is the task. The grant is for what it's for. The PI is not going away. They're going to keep pushing for what they want. Okay, that's the environment. Accept it. When, when you fight against that, when you resist it, it, it costs you a lot of energy and it can demotivate you in a serious way. Is there anything so, I can add there? No, I don't I think that's, that's fairly comprehensive. So I think this will resonate with a lot of people. So you could be the most motivated person in the world, but what happens if you find yourself in an environment where a lot of your colleagues are, you know, they're downbeat or mm -hmm. motivated, that can kind of chip away at yourself. What would you recommend to stay resilient and can, and, you know, should you try and reach out and up the general motivation of the lab or... Yeah, it's a matter of recognizing levels. So it's just like, well, people are a little downer here. Well, you know what? Suck it up, buttercup. Work it out. Be an example of being more upbeat. Uh, but in other cases, you look at it and go, this place is a cesspool. This, this place is a disaster. And you have to look at that and go, well, you know what? Maybe I need to make a change. Now, you don't want to go straight there every time. And maybe, maybe in your lifetime, you will never go there. You will never think, I have to get out of here. But at a certain point, you can look at things and go, you know what? This, this is an unfixable place. This environment is too damaged for me to do what I need to do. And it isn't even a matter of judgment. You know, I mean, of judging other people and saying, oh, the, the environment is bad in a moral sense. It's that the environment is bad for me. And recognizing the difference is quite mm -hmm. useful. No, I, yeah, I agree. Um, it's just, yeah, my experience, it can be hard, you know, because a, a lot of scientists, maybe all of us, you know, fear, fear of failure is a big motivation. We don't like to quit on things. Mm -hmm. A lot of people stick out their tenure, you know, for the completionist's sake and very noble aims. But at some point, the rubber does hit the road if you're in a, you know, a really awful, really awful environment. Right. And we, we've had several episodes talking about this from different directions um you know like in uh, an example is, is you tom that you were you were in a lab but now you're in a you're in an adjacent area you're, mm -hmm. you're involved with scientific content which could only be done by somebody with your kind of experience and background but it's a choice that you made for this point in your career and hopefully it's been a happy change from what you did last and what you did last, you probably enjoyed until it was time to move on, you know? Yeah. No, it's very, it's very much, it's very much the case. Um, yeah. Deciding what you want to do in perpetuity as well. For me, yeah. crystallizing memory proteins for a living, <laughs> but that doesn't make it a worth, you know, worthless pursuit. Yeah. Doing it was very useful. Yeah. It's, it's like what happens in business. Some businesses, our pop-up businesses, right? They're, there's an opportunity. They take it. They take it to the end, and then they shut it down and move on to the next thing. Others are far more permanent. Now you got to look at how you want to structure your career. You know, for some people, taking taking short-term opportunities 
and maximizing them repeatedly is a career plan. For other people, it's I want to get into I want to get into this lab or I want to stay in the lab I've always been in until I retire with a gold watch. Fine, you know that's that is perfectly viable. Also, um, it's just what we want to watch out for is like you know what, all I care about is tenure. I it's it doesn't matter. This place sucks, but tenure is worth it. So you know, do you really want that to be your career path? Now, I won't even say that it's a wrong choice, but I'm saying if you're going to make that choice, make it on purpose. Make it with your eyes open. I'll second that and say that was something I came to realize. I was on that on the academic road, and I didn't, I couldn't see myself in a PI position for many reasons. It's another conversation. But if you don't want that, I, I began to ask myself, do I, you know, is it worthwhile me staying in research? Because in the end, I just become a very expensive. Postdoc <laughs> researcher, you know, <laughs> yeah. very expensive to be employed. So that was part of the motivation for leaving. But yeah. like you say, it has to be a personal, personal decision. But it's yeah, quite empowering definitely. when you make it. Oh, for sure. And and you know, you can judge for yourself too of what are the factors that really matter. You know, is it is there some moral imperative in your choice? For some people, that really that is top of top of mind. Mm-hmm. For other people, like this this is just numbers you know i i will i will advance better on this path or i will i will earn more of a living on this path and there's nothing wrong with that either taking care of your family is a noble noble cause and if you can do it and still be in science well cool if your top priority isn't i want to be you know dr jonas sock i want i want to I want to discover the next Cheerio. I mean, whatever it is, you know, um, for some people that is absolutely what they want and, and power to them because it's hard to, to, to be a discoverer. It's hard to go into that great unknown. And if you can stay motivated for that, God bless, please do. Cause we need you. There aren't that many people that can do that. And on, on, on that note, I mean, I, I, I don't have any more, uh, questions to put Canada. If you have anything else you want to say, or no, I think that was a well-rounded discussion. I I am so thrilled that that we got to do this together, Tom. You know, we we should do we, it again. We only cross paths occasionally here at Bite Size Bio, so it's 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 awesome when we do. Ships in the night, or Halley's Comet, <laughs> or something. Yeah, okay. So I think we'll call it uh, call it there today, folks. Um, thanks, Ken, for your insight, and thanks everybody in the audience, uh, whether you're live now or watching on demand in the future. If you enjoyed the content, please subscribe to The Happy Scientist on your favourite podcast platform or on YouTube. If you'd like, listen back to our early episodes, which are packed with useful wisdom. And of course, tell your colleagues so we can help spread The Happy Scientist. Also, look out for more live Happy Scientist episodes in the coming months. You can find them listed on events.bitesizebio.com and The Happy Scientist Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash The Happy Scientist. Until then, uh, good luck in your research and goodbye from all of us at Bitesizebio including Mr. Miyagi, Kenneth Vogt. And maybe we'll hear from Tom again in the future. (laughs) I hope so. Bye now. Bye. The Happy Scientist is brought to you by Bite Size Bio, your mentor in the lab. Bite Size Bio features thousands of articles and webinars contributed by hundreds of PhD scientists and scientific companies who freely offer their hard-won wisdom and solutions to the Bite Size Bio community.
Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this episode and want to keep learning practical tips on being a happy and successful scientist, don't wait any longer. Subscribe to the Happy Scientist podcast and download the Happy Scientist Reference Pack today. And together, let's reignite that passion for science that first got you into the lab. Remember, you can find us on all major podcast platforms. So hit that subscribe button now and check the show notes to download.